Hello and welcome to the Remaining Sane, Finding Peace in Our Chaos podcast, a podcast about both theology and police work. I'm your host, Will. And in today's episode, I talk with both Jonathan and Ralston, leaders of the Faith Co-op. Well, one of the reasons why this podcast was started was... I began to realize in police work that a lot of police officers around me were finding their purpose in policing. And as Danny Jones once said in our second episode, that police work does contribute to his purpose, to his eternal telos, but it is not his, it is not his entire reason for which he exists. Now this problem is not unique to just police officers. We may feel it in different ways than people that are around us, but nurses, business people, pastors, really anyone else out here does struggle with the same thing, with finding their purpose in their work. Both Jonathan and Ralston have tried to help people out with this in the Chattanooga area. So, would y'all mind just giving a, a brief introduction as to who you are and the work that y'all do? Yeah, thanks, Will, so much for inviting us to be on this podcast with you. Uh, what you're doing is really important uh, for your audience, and we are honored to be part of that conversation that's going on. Um, yeah, the Faith Co-op is a nonprofit here in Chattanooga, and our mission is to help awaken Christians to how their faith brings daily purpose. So many people in our city Uh, like you said, can have a really uh, unhealthy view of how their work informs our identity and their purpose. Uh, Sometimes it is in the way where it becomes all-encompassing, where they find uh, their whole definition of who they are and their success in life and what job they have and how they do it. But honestly, there are a lot of people in Chattanooga where the opposite is true, where they can't see at all how their work has any brings any value to their life. It's just something they survive. And so both sides of those uh, uh, narratives are part of uh, something we want to help people think about in new and different ways. Uh, we really believe that the gospel uh, encourages us to view the work that we're called to do as holy and important. But as you're saying, and what you're seeing is so also true that our ultimate identity is not found in our work and who we and what we do, but in who we are found in in Christ. And our goal with Faith Co-op is to help different demographics in the city wrestle with those questions and have a better theology. And we do that through our, the programs that we offer, and I'm sure we'll get into those in a little bit. And mainly what we want people to do is hear stories of other Christians who are navigating the same question. Uh, we're not doing this alone. It's not one denomination. Uh, it's not one industry. But as Christians, as people who are trying to follow Jesus, it shows up in lots of ways. And it's an honor to lead that organization with Ralston. Yeah, and my name is Ralston Hartness. And like Jonathan said, we're really excited to be part of this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as, as, as you heard a little bit there, I mean, so much of what we do is— uh, trying to live out what we see as kind of a vocation of, of curating in this work and in the city. Uh, we really do try to bring Christians together from across the city to reflect on the point you made earlier, Will, uh, based on their particular industries. And so we do that through uh, events such as lunch and learn events that are about a particular industry, uh, such as financial services or marketing where we invite experts in that particular industry to share their reflections over a lunch with others who are interested in that industry. 
Um, we also do that through demographic ministries, as Jonathan was alluding to. Um, I'm the director here of the Chattanooga Fellows Program, which is seeking to equip recent college graduates with a greater understanding of how their faith brings purpose to all that they do through nine months of paid part-time work in an industry of interest, as well as serving the city and the local church and living with a host family in town. Um, but we also do it for established professionals in the Maine and Market Fellowship Program um, and a number of other programs. But all of it, we, you know, we really see it's a privilege to get to do this because we're um, getting to have conversations with people like you who are experts in your work and, and we are not. And so we love, we love asking people really good questions yeah. about uh, where Jesus is in their industry, uh, what it would look like if their industry was redeemed, um, what it means to have a gospel imagination about our city and in our families and our workplaces. Um, and all that's to the point of, uh, like you said, well, I mean, our work cannot fulfill us in the way that we often look for it to. And so there are these two polarities, as Jonathan mentioned, either uh, we don't see any meaning at all in our work. It is just something to get us to the weekend where we can then spend the money that we made that week doing the work that we spent our time doing. And then the other side being the, uh, Derek Thompson in the Atlantic called it the religion of workism. A couple of years ago in an Atlantic, an Atlantic piece that I think was titled How Why Workism is Making People Miserable. The misery was somewhere in the title there. That um, the point of actually many of our companies now are over-promising in what they can offer. And so um, many of us in Chattanooga probably swing from one side to the other at various points in our lives. Um, and we think that the gospel invites us to a different kind of posture towards our work. Looking at this from a police officer's perspective, there's a couple things that come into my mind. So um, one of the things that I've seen, I, I didn't realize this, but apparently this is um, normal in tech jobs, that uh, especially over where they have a large headquarters, there are um, tech companies that, like, instead of having a um, a group, like a like a so for us, you know, we have a platoon, right? We have 18 people or so in a platoon. And then within that, um, we've got, you know, a sergeant or a lieutenant who's over X amount of people. And so you, you kind of know what your group is called. Um, so you're in a group or a platoon or you're in a division or a squad or whatever you want to, we're going to call it. Um, but they, they started to refer to their, the people that they work with as their, their family. And, I'm, I'm really being someone who, who understands Christianity more as a worldview that is applied broadly across my entire life and across my family's life, my actual biological family's life. Um, I, I do have a little bit of trepidations with that because it's one of the, the problems that I see is people trying to substitute, especially when they, they move off. Let's say your family lives in a completely different area and you move to a different city to do a, to do a job. When you move away, you're trying to find your own family. And this is just another criticism or another critique of, of modern American culture is that we don't, have, we don't have a lot of community that's outside of work or religion. You know, uh, there's, there was some book uh, written... 10, 20 years ago, it, I think it was, it was called like the bowling alleys or something, bowling, bowling alone. That's it. Uh, where he talked about this, the decline of how we have, we don't have extracurricular activities that we do. And so that leads to us pouring ourselves completely into one thing when that that's not healthy, but also 
trying to, as you said, trying to escape your work is also not healthy either. And then as a police officer, the way that that manifests is that I, and I especially see this with a lot of older officers and this is not to critique the older officers, but this is just to see, uh, this is something I've seen is that, um, by the time that they're getting done, they're you know, three, five years away from getting their pension that they have this mentality. Like, you know, I don't care about the city. I don't care about the work I'm doing. I just come here to take my calls and leave. I have no investment at all in protecting the city. I just want to, you know, get my money and go. And so that also leads to bad habits on your end because, you know, you do have to care about the people that you serve and you protect. But also, we have talked about so many times this podcast and the other end of this that you can't go all the way into the deep end and think that your entire purpose is derived from this job because it's not. Um, you know, your purpose here is to glorify Christ. Yeah, it's an interesting idea, and uh, it makes me think. I have been thinking about this recently. We watched the show uh, We Crashed, uh, which is it's not a plug for the show, but one thing that uh, this documenting this docuseries is telling the tale of WeWork, um, and I think they were known for, you know hitting a gong and cheering, thank God it's Monday and, and talking about being a family and, and creating this uh, experience around the workplace that, um, if you watch the show, or if you know the story of we work, you know, can become really toxic and, um, and dangerous in it's, in it's idolatry of work and in it's allegiance to whatever is happening in the workplace. Um, and I th- think that that and other instances of how, uh, the, the, the pressure of the expectations that can come with, working for your family and even kind of the, the um, confusing of what it means to actually have a biological family or a family of faith, like the household of God. And then your workplace. I mean, we, I think that the, perhaps the better metaphor is that of a neighbor is the, the biblical metaphor that Jesus often uses in his ministry. Uh, and the one that we talk a lot about here is, is what does it mean to love my neighbor in my work? And what does it mean that, I mean, even, even your colleagues are your neighbors, Right. And, and, and so you're, when you're at work, like you're not just one entity that is doing some product or service for the others out there in the city, but actually you, your neighbor is the person in the cubicle next to you or the office next to you, um, or whatever the comparison might be, uh, for police work will. And so not only are we as Christians called to, uh, work for the good of others, like outside of our company in the cities or in the churches where we inhabit, but, but actually, when we go to work, we're, we're Jesus is calling us to to serve even those on our team because they're our neighbors as well, um, and so that that though goes beyond just the team itself to the broader uh, civic entity or the church, um, where it's not just about my family prospering, like protecting the family, protecting the team, but it's actually Jesus's gives us language for those in our family and gives us language for those in our workplaces, but also calls us to to seek the good of the city, the entire city, right? Our neighbors live out there in our communities too. And so it won't, Jesus won't let us settle for an imagination that only cares about those in our workplaces or our squads or our teams. Or he, he, he invites us to love our neighbors and that's everyone out there. Everyone, everyone is since implicated in Jesus's parables of, you know, the lawyer asks who then is my neighbor. Yeah. And Jesus talks about the most surprising figures. Yeah. Um, and, and that is a, is a call for us too. I think f- as for as a police officer, the 
struggles we may have are not necessarily with those um, trying to you know, love or care for our partners because you have to depend on your partner whenever, whenever you're out in the street. And there are situations where you've got one person on the team that you know no one else gets along with. But for the most part, from what I understand, there there is a good working environment in police work when it comes to the people that you work with. Now, the problem is who you're working, who you're serving, right? Um, especially if you're working in a big city, you're not you're not de- for the most part you're dealing with criminals and so you know how do you serve people that have committed a crime and so you know how, how do you charitably approach that because you know they they're people also but on the other hand you are tangibly exposed to some of the worst stuff that people are capable of doing and being able to charitably treat somebody who you have not only just seen it through a camera, but you have actually gone to it and smelled it and touched it and tasted it and, and all of this, you know, how do you keep yourself from, from becoming the antagonist? Because you know, we're called to serve and protect, you know, and so that what that means is collecting the evidence of the crime, securing the suspect, baby transporting the suspect, depending on just what the case is, um, but you know we're not we're not called to do anything outside of our duty in a negative way. Now we could be called to do do something. There are plenty of stories of police officers and you know other there are and it's not just cops that do this. There's many other professions where you go above and beyond where you're called for. But um, on the other hand, you know going going the wrong way is I can see that happen a lot as well. And so what that means is. Uh, that's what your team is for is to keep you from from going to that bad spot um, and I know that we've all uh, on, on teams that I've been on we've all kept each other making sure that we're um, you know, a good team is, is going to be able to call you out right then and there if you're doing something wrong because especially um, in working being out there on the street working with real people um, in real time, you know, you can, you can violate, you can violate somebody's rights in an instant and you can make a bad decision in an instant. And so you have to, to constantly be, be aware of that. And these things are, have long-term implications. They're not, it's not just that, it's not just that you can just take these events back. Man, well, uh, you make some really, those are some really great points. And myself, not having been a police officer, my brother-in-law is a police officer. And we talk about this sometimes, um, this stuff is so complex and the idea of loving neighbor in this kind of setting um, is it is not unique that we, anyone has to think about it. But for a police officer, this is a really big deal, especially a police officer of faith. Um, just a couple of thoughts that uh, <laughs> that I hope can be an encouragement um, in a place when we start viewing others as someone to love as our neighbor, not as a family member where, where, you know, you can't be fired from your family or you can't, you know, you never are separate from your family. But when you love a neighbor, sometimes you're, you're close and sometimes you're far. Uh, one of your neighbors is your partner. It is the person that you're doing life with. And, and you, you, you probably have the, the best opportunity to know them as a whole person, not just as, as a police officer, you know who their family is and you know, maybe if they've had a rough week going ahead of time, 
Um, but one of the, the, the theological concepts that we talk a lot about, no matter what job it is, is the idea that in Genesis 1, uh, when God made man, uh, man and woman, he made them in his image. That uh, before even their salvation and people being saved, that there's innate dignity in being a human being. Uh, but also with being a human being is a lot of complexity, especially in a fallen world. And um, it's easy when we are on teams, not just in a police officer setting, but in other settings, to, to really uh, delineate the us and the them. Uh, we are the us and they are the them. And uh, uh, studies have shown um, over and over again that when we use that language of us and them, we think a lot more highly about the us, and it is easy to think more harshly about the them. Um, but one of the things I, I think I've been thinking a lot about is what does it mean in light of anything, whether you're a, a doctor going in to see a patient that's coming in with an illness or you're going to, as a police officer, going to um, a scene that you don't even know what you're walking up on, that those that you're going to serve and protect, in, in, your, in your case, are also coming as a full-bodied person with trauma and brokenness. And that doesn't mean you can't sometimes have to be real, hold very hard lines and, and be very direct, but having a mindset of the dignity in that person can can play into that. Um, but that is a really complex thing that uh, I hope that when we make teams that it can push us towards that. Oftentimes teams push us to go inward, but what's it mean to push the values that are in our inward team to those that we're going to serve? And Man, that's a bigger question. That's above my pay grade to answer. But those kind of frameworks as believers, those are the types of questions we want to walk towards. Like when we say, what does it mean to love neighbor? We have to first start, what does it mean to see the dignity in that person that I'm serving, regardless of the situation, that no matter who they are, uh, just as I just as I carry lots of sin and brokenness, um, that I have innate dignity because I'm an image bearer of the, the Father that, and that he sees me. Um, and what's it mean for us in the roles that we play with other people to see them and try to see them as best as we can holistically. And that's really hard to do in a moment when you don't even know what you're walking into. And again, that's where I say, man, I am so thankful for police officers like you will and others who are trying to walk with wisdom in really hard situations. And uh, thankfully, the Lord walks before us, right? Um, you know, I just think, what are the things as police officers, uh, as a doctor, as an engineer, when you walk into a situation of problem, how do we acknowledge that the Father goes before us, uh, that we do not walk alone, um, but that He's already there? And how do we start, even in those moments, to be postured in a way to try to bring peace and kingdom moments in really tough situations. Um, and, and, and that there's just no easy answer on that. But I think the things you you bring up and saying all that make me think about, okay, how, what are the foundations we hold on to that actually we've done the work ahead of time before we walk into those hard situations that prepares for something like that that's coming up? Well, I, I think the first and foremost as, as a general answer to that is walking with a lot more humility. But, and that goes for anybody in any profession. One of the things that, and I'm, I'm probably not the best at, at doing this, but one of the things that I like to keep in the back of my head is whenever I'm, I'm and this is not in a bad way, but it's, you know, what if I'm wrong is, is where I, I, I try to keep my headspace in that because I have an issue sometimes with believing, you know, I'm, I, I know the best thing about what, what's going to happen right here and now. This is what I get paid for. But, I always try to keep that in the back of my head so that, okay, maybe I'm approaching a situation in a, in a, in a way that I probably shouldn't be. And I need to change what I'm doing. Um, I think that that keeps us honest with 
how good of a job we're doing. And I think that this is something having family that work in much more specialized, higher ed- educative um, jobs, that this is something that, you know, as your education moves up, you need to keep this even more in perspective that, you know, I've got family who are professors, I've got family who are doctors and, you know, I love my family, but sometimes, um, I think that, and this goes for anyone that it's really good to step back and say, you know, I am not near as smart as I think I am. I need to reassess what, what I'm doing here. And there is balance here because, you know, being a doctor doing surgery, you're making, um, hopefully you're not making a bunch of split second decisions, but you, you, you may be making some, especially if you're doing, you know, doing open heart surgery, you're doing something pretty wild. Um, or if you're a, a teacher and you're having to deal with how to discipline a kid in the moment right then and there, or if you're a police officer and you show up and bullets start coming out that house, you need to be able to, to, to take action and not second guess yourself. But when you have a second, um, I always think I always try to I always try to assume that whenever I'm I'm at a, a call or a situation that I can that I, I may know legally what should happen here but all the time we are we are just inundated with with changing circumstances and changing situations. So we just have to, to realize, you know, maybe I don't know all the facts and then that the situation is different than how it actually is. Yeah. What you're describing will is in, and again, I've not been a police officer. So I just, I think in terms of human nature and what it means to live in our world. And so broadening out for me, I'm just thinking, and somewhat that is a that is a heightened the intensity of what you're describing is a heightened version of what we all experience which is that life is wildly unpredictable and when we are in a moment of decision in some senses and some philosophers might point that you know the decision in fact has already been made because we aren't just thinking beings we're not just rational beings that in a moment of choice we're able to weigh the pros and cons and count the cost and then make the right rational decision We've actually already been formed. Something has already formed us. And so in that moment, we might have the best of thoughts, but still choose something that we know is not nourishing or productive or loving. And even in the moment, we might know that it's not right, but something has led us to another decision. And I would just say that to say, what you've just pointed out, Will, is it's an encouraging picture of community formation, what you're describing about the community of a squadron and the power of communal formation, which in many senses what the, we would pray and hope that each local church is doing is that as a community, the church is a body of people that are day in and day out trying to walk and live with Jesus in such a way that each individual is being formed more and more into the likeness of Christ. So that at any given moment, Jesus is moving and living through them not just because of how good they are. <laughs> in fact, like human evil and human sin runs right down the middle of every one of us. And so it's not just our goodness that is, 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 uh, you know, executing the right decisions in a given moment, but it's the work of the Holy spirit, which happens through the believer through the presence and the faithfulness of the saints around them and the formation. And that might be the liturgy at church week in and week out. It might be, I think that, um, you know, there's a, uh, uh, 
there's a there's a beauty to the whatever the habits and practices might be for you and your and your and your colleagues will that continue to keep you guys formed in um, responsibility to serve and protect and the things that you remind each other of week in and week out um, in your vernacular and that exists in every workplace so even the surgeon who's you know leading the charge with cutting edge technologies who might appear to be alone in the operating room probably would say that she or he is not alone that in fact there's a community whether that's at their hospital or those others in the or and and that's in any industry and so i would just commend anyone listening to this if you're doing police work to to lean into that community if you're not sure if it exists in your city reach out to will uh, uh as someone who could just exhort you or point out to you people in places where it does exist but even if you're in other industries um, it really is that the Christian life is not one of always just thinking of the right things or trying to wish or will yourself to do the right things. We have to have a community around us um, that can hold us up and actually can hold us up before those moments of decision come. Um, and that's where I have great sympathy for the desire for work to be like a family because we are so desirous of connection and we are so we're, we're made to image God and God is a Trinitarian God of community. And so we're just so desirous to be in community with others. And so that formation not only is good for the work that we do, but it's also just good for our souls because we need to be in that humble relationship, um, mutually beneficial, other serving relationship with the people around us. Yeah, we're not work donatists, right? You know, donatism is this heresy that sprung up in the 500s and 600s, which basically said that if a priest had ever sinned, then he could never do a mass again. And obviously the church doesn't believe that. Um, but in the same way our my ability to to be a police officer does not depend on my never having messed up before in the same way that it with any with any job um, we're, we're sticking with the surgeon here surgeon may have messed up before but he's still been given the education and the calling and the and the vocation to go out and and do what he's doing he's being used as a vessel to do something good and so we um, so seeing ourselves as vessels to do something better for other people, I think helps us keep helps keeps us recentered back on where we need to be focused. That as we are in small ways in different jobs, uh, in different cities, in different countries, we're we're working as the hands and feet of Christ in very small ways. Um, and I believe with that we're going to take a quick break. Alrighty, and we're back. So, for the first half of this episode, we've talked mainly comparing some of these overarching problems with police work and uh, to a lesser extent with other professions. But I wanted to get into in the second half here, Jonathan and Ralston, what are some of the things that y'all do here at the Faith Co op um, to help out with this idea of faith and work? Yeah, well, you know, I think one of the things we talked a lot about even in the first half is the role of community 
and being formed and shaped and then even having a sense of what it means to honor the Lord and to walk faithfully into the vocations we're called to do. And if I've learned anything over the last five years is that um, one of the things Christians in particular who are really wrestling with these questions is wondering, where do I go to talk to other people about this? Um, Too oftentimes, uh, the pastors of our churches have never had a nine-to-five job. Um, They're going to ask me about my uh, personal walk with the Lord and my quiet time, maybe my marriage. Um, But if they've never worked in the industry that I'm a part of, they might not even know how to begin to enter that conversation with me. And what we're finding is people are starving as believers to talk about what faithfulness in our nine to fives, Monday to Friday, look like. And uh, so over the course of the last few years, we've started to create opportunities for different demographics in the city to have a place to wrestle with these questions. Um, So the Faith Co-op is really a hub for lots of different distinct programs around similar topics uh, that give audiences from specific backgrounds a place to chat and to talk and to learn, but also intentional ways for those communities of believers from different backgrounds and demographics and ethnicities and denominations and professions to actually come together with this shared language to think about what does it mean for us not only um, in our specific job for the sake of our city. Um, as what we like to call the church scattered. We go to church gathered on Sunday, but we're commissioned and sent out every Sunday. Almost every denomination has some sort of sending out um, that happens at the end of the service. And what does it mean to be the church scattered throughout the week? And we want to provide a place for believers from different denominations to begin to have a vision for what it means that the work they do can serve others. And so uh, we offer uh, two distinct fellowships. Uh, Ralston mentioned those, the main and market fellows for established professionals, the Chattanooga fellows for recent college graduates who are just beginning this journey. We have a faith-driven network where we specifically focus on entrepreneurs and investors to gather around what does it mean in light of their faith to start businesses and then to invest in companies uh, that are kingdom-minded. We have our Lunch and Learn series every other month that is our broad net to invite folks into these conversations. And we also have uh, a class we call Faith and Work 101 where churches will have us come in and lead a Sunday school or a Wednesday night gathering. We've even had some companies reach out and have us come in with their faith-based employees to talk about what does it mean to have a theology of faith and work. And so we want to be the gatherers of these types of conversations uh, to send folks back out with encouragement and language uh, and be equipped to begin to live faithfully into the work that they're called to do in light of the gospel. Is that last class a one-time thing or is it a series? We offer it's a six session class, and so depending on the format, it could be over a six week thing at a church or over a day and a half at a business. Okay, thank you, uh, Ralston. And from what I understand, you lead the Chattanooga Fellows. Would you mind speaking a little bit more about um, the work you do with them? Yeah, the Chattanooga Fellows program is a, as Jonathan just mentioned, it's a leadership development program for recent graduates, and so. College graduates uh, from all over the country will uh, apply and move to Chattanooga uh, from a diversity of different colleges. This year we have five different colleges represented and six different states across the country. And they moved to Chattanooga uh, with with kind of the hopes and the plans of this program being a chance for them to explore and mature in their faith, as well as discover and uh, deepen their sense of vocation. So what does it mean that God has actually called them in a particular way based on their abilities and their gifts 
and the needs of a city, the needs of a community that God has called them to do something with their days more than, as we were talking earlier, that more than just earning a paycheck or, or, or passing the time. And so they come and uh, we would hope that they would mature in their faith through worship in a local church, that they through paid part-time jobs in the city of Chattanooga would uh, begin to uh, develop really valuable professional marketable skills in an industry that they're interested in. Many of the fellows will grow to really love that workplace or that industry and might even continue on in Chattanooga after the fellows program ends working at that same employer. And other fellows will um, decide that they want to work elsewhere or employers might say, um, you know, we'd like for you to go work elsewhere. This was just a chance for you to explore during the fellows program. Um, We see all of those possibilities as really beneficial outcomes for the city of Chattanooga and for the fellow because it's a chance for the fellow to learn and grow, but it's also a chance for them to add value to their workplaces. And, um, and that's really important to us as a program, as we seek the good of the city, that these college graduates that are moving to Chattanooga are actually, they're not just coming to be a parasite on the resources of the city, but that we're encouraging them through the programming that we do to go to work every day and to seek to love their neighbor and to go to work every day and to seek um, the good of that industry uh, the redemption of that neighborhood, whatever it might be, through the spreadsheets they make or the other uh, projects that they do. And then in addition to that, fellows live with host families around the city. And so that's a really important piece for us of the college graduates getting a picture of really faithful family life in a new city. These families are from a diversity of backgrounds. Uh, some have kids, some don't, some are empty nesters living in various neighborhoods in the city of Chattanooga. But it's such a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, as Jonathan said, the body of Christ scattered through the week where uh, in every corner of the city, um, those who are, are seeking to love and serve Jesus and serve in his name are um, are just quietly and faithfully living out family life. And so the fellows get a chance to enter into that. And that's a really, we have incredible families that have hosted fellows and given so many of their resources to fellows, so much emotional energy um, and grace and compassion and generosity to fellows through the years. Um, and then really all of this is surrounded and connected by the community that fellows experience. One of the biggest challenges of transitioning from college life to the full-time working world is the loss of campus community. And college is such a rich community experience. Um, but we really think the Christian story is one of uh, continual hope and sanctification. And so college can't really just be the good old days and the glory days, right? <laughs> the Christian story is always getting from one glory to another. And so we want to give fellows a picture of how community can even deepen for them after college and as they develop roots in a city and love for it. And so they move here to be together uh, with each other, exploring a similar stage of life, plugging in with families, working from September to May. And many of them grow to love the city such that they stay over half of our alumni who have done the Chattanooga fellows program still call Chattanooga home. You're hitting at a point in that I've had a couple different guests talk about, um, previously, and that's learning from the ones that have come before us. That is so important for the, the Christian tradition, uh, whether you're a Pentecostal all the way to a Catholic, it's important to, you know, read the Bible I, I even argue that's in part, it's important for us to read from other Christians that have come since then. Um, reading, starting now just to read some Thomas Aquinas has really helped me out um, with understanding some theology and then understanding how to look at the rest of the world. And so, but it, it is it is so crucial 
that we we have to realize that we are not entities unto ourselves, but rather we participate in this larger community together. And part of that is we learn from those that have come before us. And the other half of that is instructing those that, that come after us. And in police work, the, the way that that is brought out is we have a police academy. That's, that's the first, that's the foundational structure. Um, really, that's not even building a house. It's clearing out woods. So that's, that's teaching you how to think, um, how to approach situations. It's really, it, it's, it's a worldview change. It's a, how do you look at the rest of the world first? Cause you have to have that down before you start building on that house. Um, at least for us, the second half of the police academy is more building, learning about how the department works, what are basic laws, what are what are different units inside of our police department then building upon that how do you approach a crime scene how do you collect evidence how do you interact with people with your superiors how do you interact with the public around you and then you get passed off on into field training and so once you've graduated police academy and you have 16 weeks of 16 weeks if you pass everything um, you can you can get extended of on the job training that's more formation how do you it's more training and doing the same thing over and over because in a, a sterile environment like the academy it may be safe learning how to approach a really hot situation but then actually going out and doing it for the first time is is really rough um, my one of the very first really hot calls that a hot call is, is something that's uh, coming in. It's coming in as, as a priority call. Basically, you know, you have to get to it or something bad's going to happen. One of my very, very first um, hot calls was a guy who basically had shot. He was, it was um, 3 a.m. outside a bar. He had uh, fired around into the air and then he tried to shoot the security guard that was outside the bar, but his gun wouldn't work. And so we were getting on scene as that was happening. And I, I was deer in headlights for, for the first five minutes because I didn't know, I wasn't listening to my radio. I didn't know what was going on. My FTO had to basically grab me from my, by my head and point me at, okay, this is where we're going at. But um, in a certain way, we also have to be formed as Christians um, in order to approach our work environments without just being stuck during headlights, because we, I think a lot of times, especially if this is, if you're going to do like doing a real job for the first time, you can kind of not know where the limits are of whether it be reasonable working expectations all the way to how to get the job on time, how to do your assignments and, you know, what are the expectations that you have in front of you? And, you know, these are the repercussions of you not doing, and you're, you're playing with the training wheels off. And so, but I, I do think that we do need in the same way, being a Christian, you know, you do eventually grow up to be an adult, hopefully. And you do eventually have to learn how to, um, how to form others how to grow yourself and not just be dependent upon your parents. Um, if, if that's the kind of house that you grew up. Yeah. And we, I love what you're saying, Will. And we, I mean, we would hope Jonathan and I would hope that we 
we model to the fellows a kind of um, humility that looks to mentors, even even as those who are older than them, you know, even as those who've been working longer than them, that, that in fact, the Christian journey is not one of outgrowing mentorship, right? In fact, we can never get too old to sit with and at the feet of and do life with those who are more advanced than us in any particular way. And so much of what the fellows program is built on is built on that experience of learning from older generations, learning from more experienced professionals, learning from spiritual mothers and fathers. Some of those are Chattanooga Fellows alumni who have moved to the city 10 years ago and are still here and uh, get together with the fellows in professional settings and personal settings. Um, other times it's, uh, you know, other established professionals or even main and market fellows around the city who are invited into opportunities to share their reflections on faith and work with the fellows. Um, and not only is that remarkable for the fellows, but it also is remarkable for, for the older, for the mentors, right? Having a chance to articulate, uh, why Jesus cares about their workplace or, or what it has been like to, um, be fully committed to loving their spouse and their kids, even when the demands of work might drip, lead them other uh, in other ways. And like giving, it's a, it's a ministry not just to the to the mentees, but it's also a ministry to the mentor to have that opportunity to share that Jesus meets us in the sharing as also as he also does in the listening. Because you have to know your stuff, right? You're going to be formed as you teach. And this is this is something I've learned even doing a podcast is that I have to. I, you know, I've got to at least have a basic understanding of the theology that I've got. And then I've got to have a basic understanding of police work in order to like really combine these things and, and talk about them. Um, because, you know, that's inherently one of the things that teaching does is that you not only do you have to present this material, but then you have to take questions about it from other people. So. Yeah. It, it's one of the things that I talk about a lot with folks around town and it doesn't matter if they're a 22 year old in our Chattanooga fellows program or an established professional who's starting a new job for the first time is this idea of imposter syndrome. Uh, we think uh, when you're, especially our Chattanooga fellows, they think at some point you grow out of that and you just know what you're supposed to do. And the reality is part of wisdom is realizing that what you don't know and realizing that actually that doesn't define you. It, uh, it doesn't give you, doesn't say that your identity is lower because you don't know everything, but it, it allows you to say, hey, my, my identity is rooted in something else. And so the fact that it doesn't, I don't know something or it's new, uh, it actually can floor me to move forward. Uh, that part of growth is realizing our need. Um, when you're 22, it's easy to think that as I've gotten older, I, I, I filled my brain with enough knowledge that now I'm self-sufficient. But now that I'm almost 40, I'm very aware that actually getting older means I realize how unself-sufficient I am, how much I need others, whether that's my wife uh, to come alongside of me, whether that's uh, funders to fund the work that I'm doing, um, that everything that happens in life that there's a that we're tied together in that. Um, and, and that's part of, that's why the faith piece of this is so big, is that uh, as we mature, we actually realize we can't do it all ourselves. And as believers, we actually have a story to live into that. As you were talking about tearing down all the trees in the first part of training, I think about that with the gospel, how when we start diving into the gospel story, it gives us a, a landscape to live into. And, and, and when, when I think about our two fellowships programs, just as we're thinking about uh, what we're trying to do here in Chattanooga, the Chattanooga Fellows Program will end this year with something where every fellow will present what we call a plan of intentionality. In light of this new worldview, this deeper view of the gospel, the things that they're learning, what do they want to do moving forward? 
with some scaffolding. The Maine and Market Fellows Program ends with what we call a cultural renewal project. In light of a bigger view of the gospel, how does that contextualize to my specific job and my specific work? What does it mean for me to be an agent of renewal in the smallest way or the biggest way in the place that God calls me to work? And that no matter if it's a huge thing with a massive scope or a small thing with one other person, that that is kingdom work. But I have to have a landscape to even put that those those frameworks on and that's what the gospel provides for us as believers is yes I'm maturing and I know that I don't know everything but then I have this beautiful story that comes from God that he's the center of that I can then find my place in his story it's not my story that I'm figuring out and that's just such a gift as we're getting to the top of the hour here Ralston and Jonathan would you mind uh, giving our audience just a little bit of a piece of advice that you'd like to leave them with um, before we leave here yeah, well, thanks uh, so much again for having us on. Thank you for what you're doing um, and for your desire to support uh, other officers and other Christians in, in the work they're called to do. Um, officers who are listening, thank you for your service. Um, I know oftentimes it's thankless and, and a lot of it goes unseen, but I want you to know that your father sees you, uh, that God is with you, that he goes before you. Um, and my, my advice to you falls right along those lines. As we were talking about uh, viewing work as family or something else, the beautiful thing is that our work doesn't have to be the ultimate family because we, we find our ultimate family in who we are as heirs of the kingdom, as co-heirs with Christ, that uh, because of the work of Jesus, you've been adopted into the best family ever. And whether you're a police officer for the next five years or the next 25 years, uh, whether you do it perfectly or things go wrong, your identity is already set. You are loved by the Father, uh, and, and because of that love, you're not earning it by doing good work, but you can do good work because you already have all the love that you're going to receive. Uh, that's the type of God we have, and I want to encourage you in that work as you move forward. Thank you again for your service. Well, thank you for coming on, Jonathan. You know, I can't overstate the gratitude that Jonathan just shared and that I have, and so again, just those of you in police work listening to this, thank you so much for your service. Um, and all uh, all listeners, whether you're in um, civil service or any other vocation, I'm just grateful to you for the time that you spent listening to this, the way that you're plugging in with this podcast, the way that you're plugging into the life of a local church. Um, and really, I would just leave not necessarily with advice, but a really humble plea to you as you continue, uh, faithful women and men who are listening to this podcast, as you continue to experience um, the groaning of your workplaces or the places of loneliness, uh, whether you're in police work or anything else, um, the places of uh, the places of despair, the places of longing, uh, would you just continue to pray? As Jonathan just said, your father sees you, hears you. The story of the scripture is one of God listening to the cries of his people. Um, and if anything, I mean, I'm encouraged by the work, Will, that you're doing with this podcast. It seems like this is a ministry to the prayers of some people that you know and some people that you don't know. And so I'm encouraged thinking about what this is doing in a place of groaning and crying and praying um, for those in police work. And, and, um, and I'm confident that just as God has uniquely equipped you and gifted and called you to do this work, that he's doing the same thing around the city of Chattanooga or wherever you might be listening from. So I would just ask you uh, in Jesus' name to continue to lift your hearts up to the Father who hears and sees uh, and honors the honors the hopes and dreams of his beloved people. So um, I would hope that that would be a blessed season and journey of prayer um, and that we would then be more attentive to how God shows up. Well, Ralston and Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on. 
Uh, remember, if you have any questions for the podcast, there's a Google form attached to the description. There's also a Google form if you want to be a guest. Uh, feel free to find us on Twitter at Remaining Sane PC and have a blessed rest of your day.